All right, kid, I definitely want to get that address for that Mexican restaurant on Wednesday. Um, yeah, you know, a preacher never misses a meal uh, if it's free. So at any rate, uh, thanks a lot. Isn't that awesome to know that when we give, that some of the money goes to, uh, to rescue uh, women or anyone in trafficking? And uh, just incredible work these guys are doing. I got a chance to meet with Ked uh, this past week or so and uh, talk a little bit about that, some of the cool things that they're doing. Lives are being changed. People going into ministry, uh, coming out of that uh, that lifestyle, and uh, so uh, and the new new thing about education is awesome. Uh, that is great that uh, that we're able to partner with them and make an impact like that. So uh, thanks a lot for coming. Uh, I want I want to do a shout out yesterday. A lot of you, I see a lot of red out there today, um, but a lot of you were here yesterday, and there was a lot of red here too. We had our uh, breakfast with Santa, which was phenomenal. I want to give a shout out to Eric. I know he's probably not in this room. I don't see him, but uh, man, I tell you, uh, what a vision that Eric has had uh, just to open up and invite people who, um, who don't know the meaning of Christmas. I'm sure many of them didn't, uh, but came here and uh, just for the, the free picture with Santa, but, but really got to hear the message of Jesus and be loved on by, by us. And you guys served so faithfully. We had tons of volunteers to be a part of that. And also his vision for the Century Room and uh, that, that's, that we're putting together, we're closer on that, uh, but also the, the Century Night. I had so many parents who said, you know what, thanks so much for a, a time that our kids can come and not all the noise and energy and all the activity, but just a quiet time. So uh, that was great, and uh, we're, there's a segment of our culture that doesn't get a chance to do much in a quiet way, especially with kids. So uh, shout out to Eric and to you guys for volunteering. Well, guys, we are, we're concluding a series this week. We've been in the, the life of David for a few weeks now, and uh, today we're wrapping this series. Before we do that, I wanted to, to just tell you about our next series, which starts next Sunday, which is our Christmas series called Come and Worship. Come and Worship. And we're going to be talking about uh, how we come, what, what worship is all about. Uh, Christmas is all about worshiping. When, the, when Jesus was born, they came to worship him. And uh, so it's all about how do we come and worship and uh, just kind of one thing I'll throw out there is Christmas Eve Sunday morning. Uh, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year. Uh, happens every now and then. And, uh, but we're going to have our services the same time. There's no change on Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to be having a Sunday night uh, Christmas Eve service, candlelight service. So it will be different. And uh, it'll be a kind of candlelight. Invite people to come and share. Dan's got some awesome plans putting that together. And that will be included in our series as well. But here's the thing I want to share with you. That's at 5, by the way, 5 o'clock. Uh, what I want to share with uh, that Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about bringing our gifts. And that's the title of the, the message. And it's uh, so appropriate about how, what we come and, and give to God. But I want to encourage you guys to do something a little bit different this year than, than normal. I want to encourage you to plan to come to bring a gift to Jesus. To bring a gift to Jesus. You know, so many times we give gifts to everybody else and we blow out. Sometimes we don't have money to do anything about this time of year. We just give, give, give. But I want to encourage you to, to bring a gift to Jesus. And uh, if you give regularly, I want to encourage you maybe to go above and beyond that if you can. If you do not give at all or you give only sporadically, I want to encourage you to come prepared to give that day. And let me say, we're not going to embarrass anybody. There will be nothing that will put you on the spot at all. But it will be, I think, a part of the, the message. It will be a part of our worship. It will be your gift of worship. It also will be uh, uh, maybe your next step on your journey toward Jesus Christ. So just to throw that out and keep that in mind. But for the last few weeks here, we've been uh, talking about David and how interesting it, it has been. It's corresponded to what the news is full of. You know, we talked last week about David's failure 
uh, sexually, and the news has just been bombarding us. I mean, day after day, full of revelations of sexual harassment, accusations of abuse from public figures, people, politicians, uh, you know, media, uh, business, all across the spectrum. Uh, Much of this has come out. Some of them have denied their guilt. Uh, Some of them have, uh, have admitted some level of guilt. Some of them have tried to make restitution. And you know what's really hard for us is we hear all these things coming. It's hard for us to know, you know, are, are they sorry that they did it or are they sorry they, they got caught doing it? Are they sorry that all this is coming out because now suddenly they got to deal with it? Maybe it's gone on for years. And, uh, you know, I think que- that question is always relevant when it comes to addressing wrong and resolving wrong. Are you sorry you did it? Are you sorry that you got caught doing it? And while we're never going to know some of this, no doubt there are innocent people who are caught up in this whole uh, issue right now. We're never going to know in some of these cases, but God knows. God knows. And and that's the most important thing. That's not really what what matters. And so it goes with the life of David as well, because we've been talking about David uh, and the the kind of person that he was. We know that he is a key figure in the Bible. Uh, He is referred to almost more than anybody except Jesus in the Bible, uh, almost um, over half of the books actually talk about, Jesus, about David as well, or quote David. David was the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was a, a man who was pulled from the, uh, the sheep uh, uh, flock and brought in to become the great king of Israel. He was the ancestor of Jesus Christ. You know, he just went through so many things. He led the, the country of Israel, brought him to great prominence. He had so many victories in battle. But then last week we talked about his greatest failure, We talked about the fact that he lusted after, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, the wife of one of his best friends, Uriah, which led then to lies and deceit and all that, eventually the murder of Uriah. And you know, as we read that, as we talked about that, we just said, you know, it's hard for us sometimes. We wonder how someone who seemed to be such a good person on the outside, such a moral person, in his case, even a very clear follower of God, a leader of God, How that someone like this could stoop to such a low level to do things like we read about. It just kind of blows us away uh, when that happens. And and we also talked last week how that all of us probably have known people, leaders, preachers, people who have fallen morally, and we just ask, how could that have happened? How did this person get that far away? But then the answer comes quickly because we know in reality we all are human and weak, and that none of us are... Uh, are invincible, that all of us are vulnerable to this type of thing. We know also that Satan has a way of lying to us and leading us into temptation and taking us to a place we never thought we would go, and then he has a way of deceiving us long term. And we may really feel like, man, that I got away with it, you know. Uh, uh, I, I, my actions, nothing happened. The sky didn't fall. God didn't strike me dead. I've got away with it, and then we try to move beyond it, and, and we think we've done a great job of covering it up. But inside, we know. We know. You know, you know, one thing I've noticed, the Bible, like we said last week, the Bible kind of isolates sexual sin and says it's a little bit different than others because we sin against ourselves. I was reading that this past week in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, the Bible says that that's just uh, how deceitful it is. But what I've also noticed is that so many people who are caught up into this, they do really stupid things. They do the most obvious things in the world, and they feel like we're covering ourselves. Here, David has done the most obvious, detestable thing, and now it's obvious to probably everybody, but nobody has the courage to address it. And so, for a year, he kind of lives in this. 
And, and when you get to buy with something for a year, you kind of assume, I got by with it. I got away with it. Nothing's going to happen. God's not going to do anything. But then we said that the last verses I left you with last week was that this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And while we may feel like we get away with things, God knows what we have done, all of us. And here's the other thing I've noticed is that if you are a Christian, God really cares about that issue. And if you're a Christian, many times God will send someone into your life to confront you about your sin. Now, when that happens, no one likes that. No one is anxious to have someone come and pry in their life and address something and ask the hard questions. And and a lot of times we're going to resist and push back on that. A lot of times we're going to get angry. We're going to shoot the messenger because we don't like the message. And and we're going to, you know, pull back and, you know, all number of things that we do. But we would be wise to listen. We'd be really smart to listen. You know, I feel like that sometimes I, as a pastor, end up being that person. And I think every pastor probably feels that at some point in their life because, you know, my role as your pastor is to see things in your spiritual life that you may not see. Some things that Satan may be deceiving you from, and he's told you lies about this. Now, let me tell you up front, believe me, that confrontation is not my spiritual gift. It is not my gift. In fact, if there's anything I would rather not do, it is to confront someone about a sin in their life. And I don't know everything about you, and I don't make it my business to pry into people's lives. But what I've discovered is that oftentimes God will use a message just like this one to confront us. Oftentimes in a corporate setting, I've had people come up and say, Randy, you were talking to me today, weren't you? I'm like, well, yes. (laughs) No, no, I wasn't doing that. But listen, you know, if if it hits you, if something hits you, then maybe God is trying to tell you something. God will use messages and the truth to confront us in our sin. And there may be times that I feel led to gently encourage you personally. And believe me, when I do that, it's not because I want to. It's because God has kind of bore on me and said, you need to go talk to so-and-so. and need to kind of deal with that. That's a hard part. And obviously, confrontation, that's a whole other subject we could talk about, personal confrontation. But here's the reality. All of us, including myself, need to be open to loving confrontation at times. When someone comes to us and does it in the right way, we need to be open, we need to listen, and we need to ask, all of us should, who is God sending into my life? Who is God bringing into my life? First of all, we want to ask, who has the freedom in my life to come and confront me that I wouldn't get angry, that I would trust them, that they, you know, they know what I'm not, or they see what I'm not seeing, they know me well enough, they're not there to beat me up, but they're coming to share this because they love me. I think all of us need accountability in our lives. And I've got a few people that I really trust that way. I really believe if they came to me, if they saw something, they would come to me. And if they came, it would be out of love and concern. And we all need to be open to that at some point in our life. Well, for David, who would it be? Who would be the guy that would have the freedom, the opportunity, the courage to step up to the king of Israel and confront him about this blatant sin in his life? Well, for David, it was a man named Nathan. Now, we don't know a lot about Nathan, but, but how would you like to be the guy that God spoke to and said, Nathan, I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world and walk up to his face and tell him that he has sinned and he's not going to get away with it. How would you like to be that guy that day? No one would like that, right? What David had done, committing adultery and then murder, would have earned him a death sentence if he had just been a, a normal guy. You ever think about that? That he would have been put to death 
if it had come out. I mean, murder was a crime, and back in that day, it was a death sentence for sure. And then there was a scandal in the palace. And while David would like to pretend that nobody knew, I got a feeling a lot of people said, you know, that kid looks a lot like David, doesn't he? You know? I got a feeling that a lot of people knew what happened, how Bathsheba came to him, and then suddenly her husband mysteriously dies in battle, and now they're married. I mean, the word was out. There was a scandal in the White House, a scandal in the palace, right? But more importantly, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And David had glossed over this, married Bathsheba, son was born, a year passed by. Do you think David thought he had truly gotten away with it all, that he was so favored by God that he could do something like this and nothing would come of it? Probably. That's the human part of us, right? But then Nathan shows up one day, uninvited, I'm sure, and says, David, can I tell you a story? You know, David still had enough shepherd in him that he probably said, I love a good story. Let's, let's talk about the story. And so Nathan tells him the story. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. You know, I got a feeling that David identified. Why? Because he was a shepherd. I'm sure there were times that there was this little orphan lamb that David had taken in and he had, you know, the mother had died or had rejected him and he had taken this lamb and had become a favorite and he had fed it and nursed it along until it, you know, came up and, and then it was always like his favorite one. Uh, and he had other sheep, but this guy in the story only had one. He had sacrificed and bought this little lamb and raised it and lived in the home with them. It was like a child. Now let's pick up the rest of the story. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So David's already loving this guy and this land, this scenario, and all of a sudden it all crashes in when it said the rich man had all these other sheep, but he, he took the one, he stole basically the lamb that was like a child to this man, the poor man, and he killed it to feed a traveler when he could have fed him with any of his own. And David is incensed, if you can imagine. David burned with anger against a man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Not like, You're the man, David. But he's like, No, David, you are that man. You are the man. That's amazing. This is what the Lord, the God of, of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I, I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives to your arms. I gave all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. There, now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And this is what the Lord says, out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. 
He did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I mean, that is just shocking, isn't it? Because David, who thought he had gotten away with this, suddenly realized that it was all coming back. Now the payback. Now, now he had to deal with it. And, and uh, Nathan said, God is going to arrange this so it's going to be so shameful for you. We talked last week about the, the repercussions of David's decision. We said, you know, uh, Nathan said, the sword will not leave your house. We talked about how that one of David's sons raped his sister. And then another son killed that son because he had done that. And then that son who had killed the other, his name was Absalom, he was a golden boy, and suddenly he rises up, and the, they begin, the, the army begins to promote him, and soon he runs David out of his own city. And then Absalom, while he's gone, he takes David's concubines, his mistresses, if you will, and built like a, a bedroom on top of the roof and slept with them in public to shame his father. That's what Nathan is talking about. That's what's going to happen. That's the repercussions of your sin. And David, his world just collapses, collapses. One other repercussion is that baby died. We talked about that last week. Did not survive. And so all of this comes up, falls down and, and, and comes apart in front of him as Nathan confronts him. And I'm sure that David probably fell apart emotionally, I, I would think. And knowing Nathan as he was, he probably stood up to comfort him knowing he could not take this away, but he was, he was doing God's will. And then David's journey back to God began with repentance. Now, it all sounds really harsh, doesn't it? And our sounds really like, why did, why did Nathan have to do that? Because God sent him to do it. And, and God was more concerned about David's long-term relationship with him than he was about his feelings at the time. And that's why sometimes when we're in sin and we're blinded, someone has to come to us, and it's not out of ang meanness, it's not out of, you know, harshness, it's out of, out of love to come and say, look, you got this glaring issue in your life and it's killing you. Because, you know, that year that David was in sin, he had no communion, no time with God. You can almost be sure that his prayer and devotional life were gone his worship life was gone. Along with that, probably the whole country was suffering because David was their spiritual leader as well as their government and their king. And he had to be brought back to God. And it came to repentance. Now, repentance is one of those Bible words that we only use in the church. It really is. I don't know of any other context out there than in, you know, business or, or education that we use the word repent, really. It, it's a Bible word. So what is repentance? We've got to talk about that. Is repentance being sorry for what you did? Is it being sorry that you got caught? Is it being remorseful for what you've done? We're going to learn from David what repentance really is. We're going to learn that by looking at some of his writings in the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 51. Psalms 51. So if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to read some of that, uh, several verses there. But we know this is what this is about because it tells us. And right below the word Psalm 51, it has this little, little statement. It says, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So in case you wondered, is this really where this connection is? The Bible says, yep, this is it right here. This psalm is David's repentance and coming back to God. Now, why do we need this? Because all of us have sinned. Every one of us have sinned in our life. None of us would claim to be without sin. 
Sometimes like David and like Adam and Eve, we choose to run from our sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they went and hid from God, thinking if God, they couldn't see God, God shouldn't see them. And there were probably times that David felt like, well, my God doesn't know about this. I slipped this on, over on God. We choose to run from God. Now, most of us would say, well, you know, I can see why David would really feel guilty because, after all, he did commit adultery and kill somebody. My sin isn't nearly as bad as David's. But can I remind you that a couple weeks ago, when Tony Preach did a great job of comparing uh, David and Saul, you remember that? And when he compared them, he said that Saul's sins were greater than David's. Now, why would that be? What were Saul's sins? Well, there was jealousy and anger and dabbling in the occult and several other things. And we would say, well, those sins don't sound nearly as bad as killing somebody. But why were they the greater sins, you know? They were the greater sins because of how Saul chose to deal with them. He chose to hide them and deny them and never truly gave them to God. You see, you don't have to be guilty of the sin of murder to need to repent. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. All of us have. Sin is what breaks our relationship with God. Not just the big sins, but all sins. The smallest sin. If you commit one sin, one lie, one little white lie, then you're a sinner, right? And it breaks our relationship with God. And sin is what keeps us out of heaven unless we have that sin forgiven. And here's the thing, only Jesus can forgive us of our sin. Only Jesus can reconcile us to God. And only then if we have a repentant heart. He offers forgiveness to everybody, but it's not just like God just throws out forgiveness. No, it's conditional on our repentance and where our heart is. So let's talk about repentance. But before we do that, we've got to talk about sin. What is sin? You know, society defines sin horizontally. We've kind of got sin mixed up with the law, and sometimes they intersect, but we kind of think that sin is like the laws that we have. Most laws that we have are designed to prevent us from hurting other people. I mean, think about that. We live in a structured society where laws are written. You can only go so fast because to be faster than that could hurt yourself or somebody else. Don't, don't drive too fast and don't do this and don't do that. You know, some, sometimes they cross with the, the Bible, but they are skewed. Our laws are skewed. For example, let me give you a great example, an obvious one. It is legal to have an abortion, that you can kill a baby under the guise of choice. Uh, killing is murder. It's one of the big ten. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? But it's legal in our country. Our laws are skewed. And while most laws are designed to impose morality by protecting other people, this is one that's just way out there that is wrong. But you know what? Sin in the Bible is not just horizontally but sin in the Bible is primarily vertically. Sin in the Bible is vertically in that we sin against God's law. Sin against God's law. A lot of things in our world that are legal are against God's law. For example, sexual sin of any sort. Fornication, premarital sex, adultery, extramarital sex, homosexuality. All those sins, you know, are legal. There's not a law against them, any, some of them anymore. But they are vertical and they're sin against God. Now, we don't understand that because we say, you know what, I'm not hurting anybody. If it's two consenting people, what we're doing, you know, not illegal, why shouldn't I? But we sin. So here's the thing we learned, that both sinning against God and against others are wrong. However, it is worse for us to sin against God than it is to sin against or hurt other people. And that's kind of where our, our, our world's got it skewed there, especially in the idea of social injustice, which is always wrong. However... 
we believe sometimes that it's worse to hurt people than it is to disobey God. And that's what we got to get figured out. Now, in the Bible, the word sin is defined as missing the mark. Missing the mark. And so here's the picture, is that you have a, uh, I think we've got a target up there somewhere, a target. If you were a, uh, a bullseye with a, a dart in it, right. Um, if you were an archer or shooting, uh, throwing darts, you would aim at a target. Now, anybody who's ever tried to become better at marksmanship knows that you don't just shoot at the whole target. If you shoot at the whole target, you might hit the target somewhere. But what you shoot at is you shoot, you shoot at the bullseye. That's what you're targeting. You want just the perfect. If you hit the bullseye every time, if you could throw a dart and hit the bullseye and, and split the dart, the next one with your next dart, you would be a perfect shot. And some people can do that. I've seen people split arrows, just shot after shot. But most people can't. Most of us are not a perfect shot. If we do hit the target somewhere, we're doing pretty well. But if you miss the mark, the mark, the bullseye, which is perfection, if you miss that, then that's how the Bible defines sin. And so what we have an explanation here is, is what would Jesus do? Jesus is perfect. So if we are aiming for perfection, in fact, the Bible even says that, if you aim for perfection and you miss the mark, you sin, perfection is Jesus, what would Jesus do? How would he react to this situation? When we miss that, we sin. Now, we don't like to call it sin, do we? Nobody likes to call sin, sin, really, except in other people. We want to call it our issues. I got some issues. I've got some problems. I've got some challenges. I've got some things I'm working out. You know, we don't want to admit that it's sin, but it, it's sin in God's eyes. And we're all guilty of sin at some, to some extent. So what do we do when we do sin? If we're just trying to be honest, and all of us hopefully will at some point, even if privately, and that's when we try to be honest, what do we do when we sin? And that's what David's going to teach us as we talk about what repentance is. So here's what we do, and we're going to look at Psalm 51 to discover. The first thing we have to do is acknowledge your sin before God. You have to acknowledge that sin. Psalm 51 says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, David had sinned against a lot of people, hadn't he? He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah. And he had sinned against the whole country of Israel. He had broken Israel's law multiple times over as their king. But David realized, you know what? I have offended God. I have hurt God more by my sin than I have all the other people involved. And that's something that a lot of us don't ever think about is how... How much have we hurt God? He is the one who is more hurt than the people who are directly involved in that. That's hard for us to understand. See, true repentance is, uh, is not just being sorry that you got caught. It's not even in sorry that you hurt other people. But true repentance is primarily saying, I have hurt God. And we are broken because of our, because of our, our realization of that. Where our tendency is to sin. David goes on to say here in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, I don't think he's saying he was born with the original sin or anything, but what he's saying is I, I was born with a tendency to sin. He's just coming clean. He's not saying I used to be perfect and then I blew it one time. Now David said, no, I am broken. I've always been broken. I've always sinned. And he cries out to God to cleanse him of his sin. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. He understood that he had to own his sin before God. And if you're one of those people that never wants to admit that you've done anything wrong, then you're not repentant. 
Repentant is honestly saying, God, I blew it here. I did it wrong. Second thing is appeal to God's grace and mercy instead of justifying or rationalizing our sin. We don't just say, you know what, that's just the way I am. You know, what's been interesting in some of these things that have come out in public, you guys watch the news like I do, is that a lot of these individuals who were just multiple and repeat offenders of sexual harassment, everybody knew it. And they've been covering for them because they, the, the news guy, you know, they've been covering because he makes them a lot of money. But, you know, everybody knew it and everybody just said, well, you just, you just had to know that's just the way they are. And so many of us, we like to excuse ourselves by saying, well, you know, that's just the way I am. You can't rename it. It's sin. People say, I'm not rude or insensitive. I just tell it like it is. Ever heard anybody say, I just tell it like it is. Well, tell it like you see it, right? But that, you're rude and insensitive. I'm not undisciplined. I'm just not a structured person. No self-control, right? I'm not disobedient about coming to church. We just have other things to do. Cross the line into meddling at this point, haven't I? Right? I'm not committing adultery. I'm just having a fling or an affair, right? And you know what? It sounds really good. It's, it sounds better. All of us like to kind of rename it or excuse ourselves, which is the opposite of repentance. The opposite of true repentance crushes us. It crushes us. There's usually some tears involved in this whenever you repent because we look at our sin, we acknowledge our sin, and we turn away from our sin, we don't continue in our sin, we don't defend our sin, or actually blame the messenger who came and told us we were wrong, or blame God for making us feel guilty. When we are repentant, it's pretty obvious. And we also don't practice penance, which is like a radical commitment to never do it again. We just promise God, God, I will never lust again, I promise you. I will never gossip about another person. I'll never say another unkind word. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. We, that's, that's our shot, right? But we can't do that. We don't try to make some sacrifice to prove to God that we're good enough to earn his forgiveness. That's what Saul did. Again, the contrast of those two, David's predecessor, the King Saul, he thought, you know what? I don't have to obey God. I'll just make a big sacrifice to God, and it'll all be good between us. But God said, no, no, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And then God withdrew from Saul. In verse 16, David says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So repentance is a brokenness and falling totally on the mercy and the grace of God because we know that we are depending on no one or nothing else, not our own goodness, nor our good intentions or anything else. David goes on to say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Here is the great king of Israel on his knees, weeping, no doubt, and, and crying to God, and calling on his unfailing love and faithfulness. And God's listening. Why? Because God is faithful even when we are not. God is compassionate when we have rejected him. And he's requesting God, please wash this away and cleanse my sin. You know, part of God's covenant relationship with us through Jesus Christ today is that we can have our sins taken away, removed, because the blood of Jesus washes them away. And we have to trust that God is faithful and God will forgive us. And then we have to do the hard part. 
the second hard part. The first hard part is acknowledging and accepting God's forgiveness, but the second part is forgiving ourselves. And here's why. Because if God can forgive us, I have to forgive myself. I have to do that. Why? Because you know what? There's almost some pride in not forgiving ourselves. It's almost like saying, oh, I believe God could forgive me, but I could never forgive myself because, like, my forgiveness is greater than God's, right? I believe this is important because I think when you fall hard, you have to forgive yourself at some point. And that's a part of accepting God's forgiveness. Here's a third thing. You change your actions. David says, create it in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Whenever we repent, there has to be a change in actions. In fact, the word repent, the very word, means to turn around, a 180-degree turn. Oh, you're going one direction, you're turned around, and you go the other. That's what repentance is literally. And David is surrendering himself totally to God. You know that you have truly repented when you surrender yourself and your spirit to God and you become obedient to him. Now you're walking his way. You're doing his things his way and you tried to make restitution. You know, David goes on to be used more by God, and his sin is not held against him. Later on, beyond this, David is called a man for God's own heart, even after he had sinned in this great way. So here's the great news as we kind of wrap up. The great news is it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Number one, you can't change that. You can't go back. But if you have given that to God, he has taken it away, and you have to trust that he's done so. Understand that God has not turned his back on you. Just like he didn't throw David away, quit on David. He forgave David. Your sin is not too big for God to forgive and restore. And instead, the Bible says the greater our sin, the more we should value his forgiveness and the more we should want to love and serve him. Jesus said that those who have been forgiven much should love much. The more you're forgiven, the more you ought to be grateful to God. So guys, this morning, I want to I close the message out like this. I'm going to do it with a call to repent. This closing the series, closing the message out, a call to repent. And I'm going to ask if you would just to close your eyes. And I want to ask you, not for you to speak out, but just to ask, answer yourself, what is your sin? What is the sin in your life that's a prevailing sin that maybe you've never admitted or you keep doing it? Some of you are going to know immediately what that is, and some of you are going to have to think because you've been deceiving yourself for some time. Others of you need to meditate for a few moments to identify that. Maybe there's a lot going on in your world. But let me ask you this. Are you willing to stop that sin? Stop justifying it, rationalizing, and throwing yourself totally on God's mercy and grace. Are you willing to change? If so, then I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance in just a moment. And if you are here and you are a believer, this could change your entire future. I want you to know that you have through Christ, a relationship that your sins can be removed, taken away because you have given your life to Christ. Repentance is a part of coming to God, but it's also a daily part of our life to retain that relationship. And you need to repent of that sin and give it to Him and trust Him to forgive you. If you're here this morning and you've never made a commitment to follow Christ in the past, then, then this is the first step to do that. Because you have believed that Jesus is God's son and you're willing to give your sins to him. And so I'm going to ask if you would, you've never done so. And today is the day that you really want to give it all up and follow him 
Now, you just raise your hand this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ, you say, this is the day that I want to do it. Would you just raise your hand? We have some people in the back that will note that, and we'd love to, to follow up with you on this decision. This is, could change the, your eternity, literally, by giving away your sin and your guilt and accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are in the expectation of some incredible things happening this morning because of your promise. God, we've just seen how that you would take a man who had blown it in a major way, and there's going to be some major repercussions in his life, but, but he still, he loved you so much. Jesus, uh, David, he loved you so much that God, he was willing to lay it all down and to acknowledge his sin and seek forgiveness. And Lord, this morning, my prayer is that, that we are willing today on this side of the cross to give all of our sins to Jesus. God, we're willing to humble ourselves and acknowledge our failures. And, and as Christians, we believe that you can and do take that sin from us. And God, as people who have never given their life to Christ, and if there are those here this morning who need to do that, then this would be the thing that would push them over the line. To making commitment to make Jesus Lord of their life, to know that all of the shame and guilt and sin that's piled up through the years could be removed in one moment through Jesus. God, thank you for your love, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the experience of forgiveness, of, of repentance. God, where you wash over us and where we give it up to you, God, so that we can come clean. Thank you for Jesus who took our sins and washed them away is now making peace with you for us so that we can have hope in the life eternal. I ask these things in his name. Amen.